Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon, your podcast about a podcast that might just be too beautiful to live. From the Stick of Butter Studios in New Brighton, Minnesota, I'm Ann Lundholm. Every Monday, we recap the previous week's TBTL, but this is a Friday clip show where we take a deeper dive into a topic in TBTL history. And joining me tonight from the NECA Wafer Studios in Linwood, Washington, it's the nice lady, Christy Wise. Hello, Christy. Hello, you crazy diamond. (laughs) Hello, yourself. So the plan today, as usual, is to start with some general discussion on our topic. We will play and discuss some TBTL clips. We'll clean our house and share how you can get involved with the show. So Christy, the idea for this topic came up for me because I've been doing a little bit of archiving. A lot of archiving. You should correct yourself. (laughs) I've been doing some archiving and... I occasionally make little editorial comments when I'm writing the synopsis. Like mostly I just write down what happens, but occasionally I feel moved to add a little comment. And I was uh, recapping a particular episode and talking about something. And then I wrote, and it's pretty embarrassing, I have to say. (laughs) And I thought, why don't we do a show about some extremely embarrassing moments in TVTL history. Now, I know what you're saying. How could we ever pick? (laughs) (laughs) This might Um, be one of many. (laughs) Yes. From the time that Luke pooped his pants at the kingdom. God, what else? To Jen pretending to be a high school reporter so she could try and hook up with her hockey crush. (laughs) To Sean getting thrown out of a bar by a bouncer and superating his leg. Uh, This show is full of moments that you have talked about them where you are like pulling the neck of your shirt up over your face because you are embarrassed for them, right? Well, that's how I knew listening to these clips that they were the right ones. (laughs) Because I just started getting like hot and then like covering my face and having to stop a couple times. And I knew, I mean, because there's a, we have to, we do have to say there's a difference. There's a, this is not Luke embarrassing himself. That would be Mm -hmm. about 10 clip shows. We need maybe 20 hours. Um, This is when either the person telling the story admits it's embarrassing or the other person says, well, that's embarrassing. <laughs> yes, that might be my favorite part of all these right. clips, but we'll get there. <laughs> so these are um, clips where the embarrassment has been called out. Several of them involve celebrities. I don't know if that makes them more embarrassing. Probably. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> Um, some of them embarrass non-celebrities, but I think that they are equally embarrassing. So, um, it's not my intent to like torture everybody listening. (laughs) Just please remember that all of these things happened many, many years ago and our hosts are still okay. (laughs) The embarrassment did not kill them. (laughs) So we can't start this really without detailing an embarrassing moment of our own. You suggested this, Christy, so I assume you have a good one to share. So about 10 years ago, my dad came out and then, you know, big divorce and split up and everything. And 
um, my sister and I and a bunch of friends decided to go to Pride Parade to celebrate him because it would be his first out Pride Parade. He had started the um, Gay Straight Alliance at his work. And so it was like a huge deal and going to be in the parade um, on the float. So we went down there and it's an all day thing. I think you get there at like seven in the morning and then you go out at night. And um, mostly I don't usually drink so we have to keep that in mind and um my uh two friends and I were like let's get a hotel close by because I decided that I was gonna go to work the next day so it was a oh, no. hotel <laughs> that was close to my work walking distance so everyone decides to pre-funk before going out in my hotel room I think I should keep up with everyone we hadn't eaten it was all day in the sun I'm drinking like everyone else, like, oh, yeah, vodka with juice. Let's do it. Yay. That's the last thing I remember is leaving the hotel room. We went to multiple spots. I was sneaking buying other drinks. Apparently, this is all from other people. Hiding in the bathroom at one point, calling people and crying on my cell phone. Oh, no. And and then we decide we go home And we go to a gas station and I vomit all over the floor. I didn't in the taxi, but I did as soon as we got out of the taxi. In the lobby, I pulled my friend down into it with me in the elevator and then just like sat and then went into the hotel room and sat on the toilet, puking into the garbage can, crying and just begging them because they were like well we need to go home and I said no 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 we need to stay here and I was begging for ice chips because those would just make me feel better and it was a low point and then somehow they got me into the car and I ended up at home and I woke up with the worst hangover I think it probably lasted two days and I was so mortified because things would come back in flashes like I remember being on the floor of the of the elevator and looking up <laughs> and being in the bathroom and and it was so embarrassing that I bought both of my friends that had taken care of me flowers the next day and sent, had them sent and just said oh my gosh I'm so sorry and thank you for taking care of me and that's probably the I mean that's definitely the last time I've had more than one drink mm-hmm. that's why I just I just don't do it <laughs> Well, I mean, surely there's some happy medium between one drink and all the drinks that you could have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's hard to regulate when you're drinking, like someone's making you the drinks in a hotel room in a like, you know, you're not going up and buying it because the cheapness in me also doesn't like to drink because I'm like, what, $8 for a drink? I'll only have one of these. So, you know, there's a difference when you're going to a place and they're regulating, oh, we're only going to put one shot in this versus someone just dumping a bunch of stuff into a glass (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. not eating. That was a really dumb thing I did. I mean, do you think that if you hadn't pre-funked, you would have been okay? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think the crying on the cell phone and just all of it is so embarrassing. <laughs> like the bar that we went to and the hotel, when I drive by them, I still get embarrassed. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I guess everybody needs one of those. Yes. Unless you're me because <laughs> I don't drink. Yeah. 
You're smart. So we had a conversation about this before we started rolling where I was like, I don't really have any moments that are like excruciatingly embarrassing because I don't drink. I don't really go out in, pu- in public. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a wild partier. I don't talk a lot to people because I am inf- afraid of embarrassing myself. And I'm one of those people, I'm a lot like Andrew, where if I feel like I've said something dumb, I'll just beat myself up for it for days, Life. weeks, yep. months. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But then I did have a flashback to when I was a sophomore in college and I went to see a band, just like a small local band, and uh, they were doing a meet and greet afterwards. And I had been on their website and kind of read their bios to, you know, learn more about them, as you do when you're a 19 year old girl and you're going to see some boys in a band. And I got to talk to one of them. And the only thing that I could think of to say to him was, we're birthday buddies. <laughs> and he said, oh. And then a hole in the floor opened up and swallowed me. <laughs> That's not that bad. <laughs> See, I know. This is a very different story from the one that you told. Yeah, <laughs> and yours was hours long and involved many other people. And mine involved a five-second interaction with the stranger but I think of it, and it's still... You want to crawl in Like you said, it's sti- I still get embarrassed whenever I think about mm-hmm. it. Still, it's making me sweat a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> totally get it. I do have one other story that I was not embarrassed. It was somebody who was embarrassed by the way they interacted with me. Uh, and it was one day when I went to like a takeout Chinese place and it was really busy for some reason the line was long but I didn't care I just wanted to get some whatever inauthentic American Chinese food Mm -hmm. and the guy who was like the point person who was dealing with the customers when they got to the front of the line he was so busy and working so hard and trying to get through the line and as I got up to the front he didn't really even look at me and he said and what can I get for you sir (laughs) And I just, I was like, uh-huh. I, you know, it just took me a minute. And there was a very butch lady behind me mm-hmm. who says, boy, usually I'm the one that gets called sir. <laughs> and the counter guy looked up and like registered me properly for the first time. And he's like, oh my God. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I'm six feet tall. Yeah, he was registering I had, your I had a height. ponytail. He just registered my size as a dude and was properly embarrassed when he figured it out. So, Do you get free Chinese food from there now? No. No, unfortunately so not. <laughs> it was just the lady behind me saying, oh, usually I'm the one that gets called sir. Yeah, I feel like she <laughs> made it really... worse almost, right? Yeah, kind of. But yeah. it was okay. <laughs> So those are the things that I remember. Of course, our embarrassing moments are not immortalized on the radio Mm -hmm. or on the podcast, I suppose, except for these ones now. But Luke and Jen's definitely are. I didn't end up including 
much from Jen on this one. We just have one Jen clip, but I think it's because so many of Jen's greatest hits we've talked about in detail already because they're such amazing stories Yes, that they've already been featured on LRB mm. and I don't want to do something that we've already done. So I thought I would just mention a couple of these greatest hits for people if they would like to go back and listen to some fantastic stories about Jen's embarrassment. We have episode number 63. This is LRB 63, by the way, not TBTL. LRB 63, Spaghetti Factory of Sadness with Natalie Sinclair was the guest <laughs> on LRB that day with you and Mike. And she was the one who uh, picked the story about Jen ditching her friends at the birthday dinner so that she could go and pretend that she needed to interview the minor league hockey player that she had a crush on and how that did not work out for her very well. It's one of the all-time great Jen stories. Yes. In uh, LRB number 101, Stifling the What? That was my interview episode with you and Mike, um, which is when uh, Jen told the lady at a party that she volunteered with children with muscular dystrophy because she didn't want to seem like a shallow um, selfish person to this lady and then <laughs> got caught in the lie. <laughs> And then LRB 199, which was a Phyllis fave, Mustang Sally meet Matrix Phyllis, which was the time that Jen got a little tired and emotional and decided to get up on stage at the Rimrock Steakhouse and convince the band that she could sing the lead to Mustang Sally when she couldn't. And that is a fantastic episode. So Yeah, there was also one uh, that I'll, I'll try to find is when she said her cake was moist because um, she put it in the rain. Oh, I think it's 173. It's a Phil another Phyllis one. Please listen to that one, too. <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, that was the time when I was, I was time abandoning it after I had started listening to TBTL mm -hmm. and she told that story. And I got so mad that I wanted to sit down and write her a, an email right away after she said that um, cake, mix cake was better than homemade cake. And I wanted to be oh. like, what? And then I realized, and this happened like three years ago. You can't <laughs> write an angry She's letter to her. not even on the show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, that was a, that was a pretty interesting lie in that one. <laughs> Before we get to the clips, let me, of course, thank our archivists. I'd like to thank our friend Amy Shepard and our other friend Dana Steele for coming up with a couple of these clips. And I'd like to thank myself. Yes. Thank you, Anne, for the other three. <laughs> Since I apparently like to write, and this is very embarrassing, in the synopses, <laughs> that's what easier. came up when I searched for the words. Yeah. So let's get into this first clip. This okay. is the first of our celebrity-based trio. It's from January 28th, 2008, so just a few weeks into the radio show. And this is Luke talking about the time that he met Ethan Hawke and uh, the conversation that he had with him. So let's listen to that. I have this XY axis that happens in my mind when I see a famous person. And so one of the lines running is, the famous person, and then the other line that's running at a 90-degree angle is things that I remember that are associated with this famous person. Events in my life, it's anything associated with the famous person, and where those two things intersect, mm -hmm. draw a circle around it and tell that story. Right. So I was working at an old radio station I, I used to work at, and Ethan Hawke comes in. And I had, many years ago, been at a stand-up comedy performance in New York 
where Ethan Hawke had just written a book called The Hot Estate, which I think they even made into a movie recently. They did. It was out last year, and it was just as bad as the book. And the book was unbelievably uh, in love with itself. He The dedication pages to my mom, shine on, you crazy diamond. I mean, that's the actual <laughs> dedication is to his mother, and he says, I remember this distinctly, shine on, you crazy diamond. It's one of those books that's just written by a guy who's been really attractive and everyone's been telling him he's great for the last 20 years of his life, and he's starting to believe it. And so at this stand-up comedy show where uh, guys like Dimitri Martin and Eugene Merman were very funny, uh, Matt Walsh, a guy who was on The Daily Show. Uh, anyway, all these uh, – Ed Helms was there, Ed Helms of The Office. Oh. These guys were all hanging out there, and this was just kind of like their Tuesday night get-together and drink some beer and make each other laugh sesh. So somebody gets up and does – they go, Ethan Hawke's going to be here later. I'm like, wow, Ethan Hawke, that's kind of huge. So a guy gets up and he has a really poorly made Ethan Hawke puppet on his hand. That he just fashioned right then and, and there. And he probably made it before the show. But it wasn't Ethan Hawke. It was a puppet. It was okay. not Ethan Hawke. <laughs> and he goes, I'd like to read from my book, The Hot Estate. And he starts reading the acknowledgments, the acknowledgments. Mom. Oh, no. And it's a super diss of Ethan Hawke. And so he does this reading, and everyone's laughing. It's really funny. And he's making the puppet's head kind of go back and forth like, I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm an Ethan Hawke puppet. I'm rad. And everyone claps when he's done. And one hand, one person keeps clapping. And it's it's Matt Walsh, this guy who eventually would get on The Daily Show. He's that red-haired guy. Anyway. And he goes... That's pretty great, making fun of Ethan Hawke with a puppet, but everyone knows I'm Ethan Hawke. And he has an Ethan Hawke puppet on his hand. He's been sitting in the audience. Oh, my word. And he sticks his hand up, and he walks up on stage, and he's like, pretty funny, dude. And his Ethan Hawke puppet is talking to the other guy's Ethan Hawke puppet. Uh-huh. And he's going, okay, enough with this joke. I'm obviously Ethan Hawke. Thanks. And they start having an Ethan Hawke off. How do I know you're Ethan Hawke? Well, what, diem. what was yeah, exactly what was what was my name? Fine. What was my name in Reality Bites? I don't remember. Troy. They, they were, oh, good. You would have won. You would have dominated. <laughs> Clearly, they didn't really have a script. They were just messing with each other. Mm-hmm. But the underlying thing here was that everyone was making fun of Ethan Hawke. Everyone was in on the joke that this book by Ethan Hawke sucked. So flash forward three years. Luke is in the coffee room at KUOW. He turns around, and there's Ethan Hawke. And I could have said, hey, or... Could you pass the non-dairy creamer? But I had to do my axis of embarrassment. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. <laughs> Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, that's the Y-axis going straight up. Do, 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 do. A puppet shows about Ethan Hawke. Oh, crap, that's the X going across the intersect at Ethan Hawke puppet show. And I said, hey, uh, how you doing? You know, it's, I was in New York a while no. ago. I couldn't stop myself. You I, told him about it? Why did I tell him about it? Because oh. this is how my brain works. <laughs> I cannot fight the XY no. axis. Oh, what did he say? So I go, I was in, and as I'm getting into it, I'm thinking, what are you doing? Like, I didn't even realize until halfway into the story that he's the butt of the joke. I said, uh, I saw this puppet show in New York. It's really funny. People were reading from your book, and then a guy in the audience had a puppet of you too, and then they were arguing about being you. And he goes... You know, it really sounds like they were making fun of me. <laughs> of course, because they were, and there's no way you could possibly 
read this story as anything other than a massive diss of Ethan Hawke. And I'm just thinking, what can I say? What can I say? What can I say? And I go, you know, I can see how it would sound like that, hearing it this way, but you have to understand. And I, I, I went for a risky gambit here. I realized in this second, this half second, that if I gave Ethan Hawke a way to believe that he wasn't the butt of this joke, he was going to go for, he was going to take that. Because mm-hmm. he would rather live in a of world course. where people aren't making fun of him. I just needed to give him an out. I needed to give him some something that he could, a little piece of flotsam that he could cling to in the water that had just come off the boat wreck that was that story. What could I give Ethan Hawke to hold on to? So I said, yeah, but being there, if you were there, it was a bunch of people who really love you, and it was kind of, it was really like an homage to you, and he went, oh, yeah, I could see how that was. I could <gasps> see that. Oh, saved. Saved by the bell. Oh. Because his choice, his choice at that point was either, either there are entire rooms of hilarious comedians in New York who at any, him. any hour of the day are doing elaborate productions, <laughs> making fun of him and his book and his dedication to his mom, that crazy diamond, <laughs> or... There are rooms full of people who love him, and he wants to live in a world where people love him. Of course. As do we all. We all do. <laughs> and so I turned it around. But I'm so glad you did, because I would, of course, have trouble with tonight worrying about Ethan. Well, don't you worry about Ethan. Because <laughs> he was great in training day. I feel like that turned it around for him. So that's what uh, I can cling to. Before we talk about this, Christy, can I just say that Jen is the best listener? She's she is. so evolved in this story. Mm-hmm. And she asks great questions. And she is worried about Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, oh, thank God you saved it, which is debatable, yeah. Jen. Mm-hmm. She says, I'm glad you turned it around or I would have spent tonight worrying about Ethan. <laughs> which I just love it. She's so Me great. Too. <laughs> yeah, she's she's such a good listener. So what do we think about <sighs> this? Why why does Luke have to do this? I just think well he we know this that he has no filter from his brain to his mouth like it's just broken like he was born without mm-hmm. it. And I think it's his need to constantly be filling the void. And so he's like okay, you know, do the computer database search. Okay, what do I know about Ethan Hawke? Okay, bingo, got it. It was terrible. He didn't think about it. He didn't think about what was happening or that they were making fun of him or how that would make him feel. He just had to say it. It's like he wanted to create a connection with Ethan Hawke so desperately. Yes. He wanted to like bro down with him. Even though he doesn't seem to have a ton of respect for him. I mean, I don't know. Well, it's really interesting that we're talking about this clip because we they talked about Ethan Hawke this week or last week, I guess. Mm-hmm, and yeah. So that's strange because he's kind of not really in the news, and then all of a sudden for him to pop up twice. But um, I feel, and this could be the difference because I mean, this clip came from 2008. So 2008, Ethan Hawke, who is writing a book that everyone just makes fun of to the point where alternative comics have multiple puppets um, about him. <laughs> I feel is is different than um, 2018. Ten years later, I feel like 
Ethan Hawke kind of knows his place, knows where he stands. Mm-hmm. And that could be because I just saw a movie with him and I really liked it. And it was him playing a guy that kind of was like past his time and kind of a washed up star. So maybe I'm projecting now. Ah, uh. But yeah, everyone should go see Juliet naked. But I think he's done some work. I think you're right. He's done some work in the last 10 years that Luke has really appreciated, like mm-hmm. boyhood. Mm-hmm. I think he's liked a lot. Um, Training day. He I've mentioned. never seen the before sunrise yeah. movies, that trilogy. I think that one maybe was longer ago than 2008. Yeah. I could look it up, but I'm not going to. But he has, he's made some stinkers and he's made some great yep. movies. And I'm sure that as an author, he like, but he got to skip all of the first basic steps because he was famous. Right. He could get a book deal mm-hmm. and a book contract without being a particularly good writer just because of his celebrity. And I think maybe since then, maybe he's developed that craft a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, he probably doesn't have a second book. I think he does. Oh, really? Everyone that's read this book, or if anyone has, please give us a review. Because I was just going to say, you know, like the poem book from Jewel. That wouldn't have got published if she was just a lady in a van in Alaska. I one time did a dramatic reading of (laughs) Jewel's poetry book in a bookstore because it was so terrible. Yeah, it's so bad. Evenhawk Books. Rules for a Night. Ash Wednesday. The Hottest State. Oh, that's the one they were talking about, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, no. This book rules for a night. Uh Uh-huh. Sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is a good one. Ash Wednesday. The the synopsis says, sure, he can act and direct, but can he write? Readers and critics remain undecided after the publication of his first novel. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, no. All right. Well, I guess I won't be rushing out to Barnes & Noble to pick that up in the near future but you never know yeah all right so let's set the subject of ethan Hawke's novelistic integrity aside (laughs) i don't like this puppet show where these people gather in a room to make fun of him i don't think that is very kind and i don't like it it's not it's also not funny no this is not someone i mean ethan Hawke wrote a book it's good or bad i mean who knows But he's not an in-your-face person. So this is not Kanye writing a book, which I could see if it was horrible, people doing a puppet show of him. This is just a guy that wrote a book and dedicated it to his mom in a crazy way. (laughs) Um, And, I mean, I don't know. He, He just wasn't a personality that deserves that. Nope. I don't think very highly of Luke for, I guess, remembering that so fondly and thinking that that it was so hilarious. He probably thought it was funny. I mean, it is 2008 when he's saying it's funny because it was the time and place like, oh, it's all these alternative comics that he totally respects in this little dive bar-y comic place being like edgy. Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, he hates people saying they're so random. (laughs) But, I mean, that's basically (laughs) what this was, right? They're being Uh so random. I mean, even if Gwyneth Paltrow wrote a book, that deserves a puppet show. Because she thinks so highly of herself. But 
I don't see Ethan Hawke thinking that. Well, easy target, I guess. Yeah, I so, guess so, do you think that Ethan bought Luke's pivot? If you think about it, no, it's really because they love you so much. Of course I not. Think he, was, he wanted he him to shut polite. up and leave him alone. Yeah, <laughs> and also like, oh god, this guy's gonna keep trying until I let him off the hook. And you don't think that Ethan Hawke knows he has haters, right? Of course he does. Luke fail. <laughs> There are a number of times in uh, these clips where Luke's like, I think I pulled it off. Yeah. And every time I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> if you need to tell yourself that to <laughs> make the embarrassment livable, then all right. But they knew. All right. Should we move on to the next one? Yep. This is the episode that uh, <laughs> spawned this show <laughs> as I was listening to it and covering my face. Yes. Um, this clip comes from February 29th of 2008 um, when Luke decides to email his hero, David Simon. <laughs> and then when I'm done with that, I turn back into a human being and I go up to my apartment and I put on The Wire and I get out The Wine and I watch a couple episodes of The Wire and I get a little tipped. Not Jen drunk. No. Just like normal person drunk. And... Uh, so I had actually gotten through, unfortunately, all the episodes of The Wire, which I had on demand, and I had nothing left to watch. So I watched this documentary, and I put that in quotes. I'm putting it in air quotes, which you can't really see because I'm in Los Angeles. It's hard to see it all the way down here. But uh, I watched this documentary. Suppose that was, it's supposed to be about the the decline of the of journalism and specifically newspapers. And David Simon, the creator of The Wire, is in it. He's being interviewed, as are a bunch of people who are actually journalists, as are a bunch of the actors. Sometimes, like one guy who plays a homeless drug addict. I mean, he's an actor who plays a drug addict. I don't know what part of that qualifies him to really talk about uh, the, the, the shifts in the media landscape vis-a-vis -vis print journalism. Um, and so I was watching this, and I was getting increasingly bummed out slash furious because – David Simon, this, people think this is The Wire. They think it's David Simon, but it's really not, even though he's in it. Uh, I watched all the way to the credits. It's about a half hour long. And at the end, I looked carefully through all the credits. His name wasn't anywhere on there. And I figured out what I think happened. And I think it was HBO. You know, it's a big, giant company. They have all these different production arms. And some part of the company said, we need to make a, a special thing to slap on the end of the, uh, the the series. We'll put it on HBO On Demand, and it'll be about the decline of journalism. And then they assigned some like 23-year-old kid who doesn't know, who, who probably studied at Fashion Institute in New York to put together this, 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 this video. Uh, and so I watched it, and it was so, it was such gibberish. It was like, there were people contradicting each other left and right. And like David Simon's in there a whole bunch, and he's looking dumb because it looks like he's disagreeing with other people. So I thought, I got to tell this guy, I got to tell David Simon that he's, that this, this documentary they produced that he's in is lame. So I uh, called in a couple favors. Uh, I sold Addie into white slavery again, and I got David Simon's actual email address, and I actually sent him an email. And uh, this is what I said in the email. And I tried to be, Jennifer, I tried to be very, very, very polite. I noticed that. Because I just... I mean, at the beginning, because I didn't want... We get a lot of critical emails on this show. And I didn't want it to... Uh, I didn't want to have him stop reading one sentence in and just think it was more a uh, weird, angry email. Uh, and, and I also wanted him to know that I love the show, that I'm saying this from a place of love. Uh, so I said, Mr. Simon, 
which I felt slightly weird about, calling him Mr. Simon. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's overly formal? No, I thought that was good. I thought call because I, I don't know him. If I call yeah. him David, it's like, hey, what's up, bro? Right. right, and you're already emailing him on his private email, so yeah, I thought that was a good remove. Okay, good, good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Mr. Simon, first off, I'm a giant fan of your work. Uh, you probably hear this all the time, but I think The Wire has got to be the most vivid, interesting TV show to come along maybe ever. So that was my opening line. I wanted to just really, like, butter him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, though. Have you seen the quote documentary about the future of news that HBO is running with its on-demand package? It's pretty much terrible. Uh, first off, why are they interviewing actors, excellent as they are, I put parenthetically, about the shifting media landscape? When's the last time someone asked Bob Woodward about Stanislavski's magic if theory of dramatic tension? That's probably overly complicated, but I figure he's David Simon. He can he follow me. Yeah, he can follow that. He, he, you know, graduate of the University of Maryland. He's probably got a head on his shoulders. Um, secondly, the thing has no idea what exact point it's trying to make. Is it that money drives the coverage too much now? Is it that readers are too tabloid obsessed? Or that reporters are taking liberties with the facts? And then I put in here another thing. If they were trying to make that case, they, should have, they shouldn't have included a clip of Jacob Weisberg, that guy's the editor of Slate, um, stating that papers are actually getting tougher on reporters who fudge their work. Because one of the things they, that's in a plot of the fifth season of The Wire is a reporter who's actually making up stories. And then they have people in the documentary going, yeah, everyone's making up stories. And then this guy, Jacob Weisberg, the only actual journalist of the bunch, goes, you know, they've really cracked down on people making up stories. Good. Yeah, I was like, those things, though, that's, a, I think, a contradiction. <laughs> Um, anyway, and I say, suffice it to say, it was unclear what they were going for. Anyway, I checked the credits at the end, and as I suspected, your name was nowhere to be found. My hunch is that someone from the HBO PR department with no actual journalism experience slapped it together. I guess I just wanted to let you know in case you, had, you hadn't actually seen the finished product, since a person could easily think it somehow represents you and your thoughts on journalism. Sorry for this totally unsolicited email. Please feel free to ignore it. A huge fan. Luke Burbank. And that a huge fan is what my ben, my friend Ben Steele would call the equivalent of just lying on your back and exposing your belly. Mm-hmm. Like if you were a dog at the dog park. Mm-hmm. Like, I just please, I, have, I pose no threat to you. Please, just be nice to me. <laughs> I did that in the end of the letter by just saying a huge fan. So that was the email. I sent it today at, well, I actually have it here. I have the timestamp. I sent it today at 2.44. I was hiding outside of Vanessa's work, stealing the Wi-Fi signal. Uh-huh. <laughs> sitting in her car <laughs> and I sent the email at 2.44 and uh, at uh, not a few minutes later like five, ten minutes later I see on my now iPhone because I had turned the laptop off ba-ding, email from David Simon and I was so nervous I couldn't even look at it oh my gosh because he kind of scares me because The Wire is a kind of a badass show yeah and he's like hung out with all these murdering thugs on the corner. And I thought like, maybe he'll fly to Seattle and beat the living S out of me. I don't know. He definitely know. seems tough. Yeah, he's, I'm, he's a tough Jew. <laughs> so that's actually a really good book, Tough Jews. It's about the history of, uh, of organized Jew, Jewish organized crime in New York. Seriously, Tough Jews is a really good book. Um, David Simon's not in that. But if they wrote it these days, he might be. So I get the email back from David Simon. And I'm like, oh, I open it up, scared oh. And it just says, thanks, period. This is all lowercase, by the way. Thanks. Not in control of the HBO promo world and don't want to be, period. Where is my email available, though? 
<laughs> he just basically wants to know how the hell I got his email yeah. address, which is a legitimate question. But as a former reporter, he will respect the fact that I have to protect my sources. Right. But, I uh, know. You've hidden it from me. I'm pretty proud of you. I know. I actually I actually deleted it from the email to you because I feel like I probably I was probably abusing the right. I was abusing the privilege. My friend gave me his email, probably not knowing what I was going to use it for. So I abused it. And if I let you have it, that would be double abuse. That's right. So that's the end of the story I did. Mara uh, in uh, Massachusetts, she encouraged me to uh, to write in to David Simon and said it'll go fine. And in, in fact, it did go fine. And I feel somehow a little better. You think that went fine? You feel fine about that? <laughs> you don't think that went fine? I don't. All right, we got to take a break. We're late for the news. When we come back, Jennifer, explain to me why you don't think it went fine, okay? <laughs> okay. This is TBTL News Talk 710 Cairo. And eat some crackers. And I'm so glad that you found this clip because this story has become legend. And I feel that every time he tells the story, David Simon's response is more and more aggressive. Ah. Because him saying, hey, uh, is this email just floating around? How did you get it? Is very different than how did you get this email? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then it's coupled with the time when they were together on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And um, David Simon like, oh. <laughs> oh, you. Oh, you. <laughs> I know who you are. Yeah, so all of that. Because then he has that part of the story. And then he tells this part of the email and that kind of goes together as if David Simon just hates him. Not so much. I mean, David Simon really is like, how did you get this email? But, (laughs) but not in a, I didn't think it was that aggressive. I thought it was like, no. Oh, maybe I need to protect myself a little bit more. Is this on any website? Mm -hmm. Who talked? Yeah. Well, and I also thought that his answer, because I think that in his, his answer was pretty, it was like, I didn't have anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with it. Is my email floating around out there? Whereas I think the later telling of the story was the only response was, how did you get this email? Right. And I thought that it was, I mean, he didn't have to respond to them. Mm-mm. I just don't understand why it was so important to Luke that David Simon be notified that there was, I mean, essentially a DVD extra, right? <laughs> I think it's another example of Luke thinking that people aren't going to understand. And I think people do understand. This This is just some shitty extra that they're going to put on the end as a little additional content for people who are wireheads mm-hmm. like Luke is. And I'm not, I'm not sure why he feels like this is some grievous slight against David Simon that he has to be notified of. Like, it's up to Luke to save him. Yeah, I don't think he he needed to go so far as that. But yeah, I think that he just respects him so much and loved the the show so much and knows because he loves David Simon that he um, respects, or that he's a journalist and really, like, respects the medium. So to see this thing where it was a poorly done quote unquote documentary that showing with David Simon's name on it that he felt he had to save the day. What he could have done is just fired off a, a fire tweet and uh, been done with it or talked about it on his <laughs> radio show, you know? Sure. That's enough. And he wanted to make a personal 
connection to David Simon, mm-hmm. too, obviously. So maybe this was just like a convenient excuse to get that going. Yeah. But the letter was pretty bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not just me <laughs> thinks no. that. No, it was really bad. And Oof. yeah, I was definitely hiding, hiding my face. Whatever. I didn't even bother to write it down. The Stanislavski's law of whatever, whatever that Luke has to throw in so that David Simon will know that that he has cred. And I bet he didn't even get that far. Honestly, I bet he didn't (laughs) even read that much. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and as you noted, the best part was Jen Singh. Oh, you think that went fine? Because Luke just, I think that part of him was just a little bit excited that he got a response. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine you write your hero an email and then not even very much long after you see they've responded to you. Like that has to be I'm important enough. Exactly. And so he probably is just writing high. And then I think with time and probably reading it over a million times over and over again he realized no this was embarrassing and I shouldn't have done that uh, speaking of Jen let's go on to the Jen clip yes I thought for sure that we had featured this on LRB before but I cannot find any evidence of it so uh, I think it's a good one to bring to the table this is from January 9th, 2009, and Jen is telling a story about how she and her parents went to the Rainbow Room, the very shishi restaurant in New York City, and she did not understand the tipping protocol, and that resulted in a very embarrassing encounter for her. I took my parents there to thank them for my college education for brunch. And when they brought the bill, it was very confusing because there was a place to tip the captain. Who was the captain? He was a guy that came who seated us and welcomed us. Mm -hmm. And then I never saw him again. And then there was the wait staff who were the people that um, came over and took our drink orders and opened our champagne, that kind of thing. And then the busboys who, to my thinking, did the majority of the work because it was a buffet. And so Mm -hmm. they were doing a lot of clearing. Yeah. So when I when I got that when I had to break out the tip I didn't know how to do it so I thought well I barely saw the captain so but I'll didn't him the captain the... open some champagne he he might have popped some corks that's true but I barely saw him and he certainly didn't do any work so I gave him the littlest amount and then I gave the wait staff a medium amount and then I gave the busboys the most because they did the most work and then so we were leaving and the captain followed me into the lobby in front of hmm, fifty people waiting what's to be the seated. captain wear. Uh, he was wearing like a suit with a, uh, what is that called when it's just a strip across your neck? Oh, uh, I don't know what that's Nehru called. collar? A Nehru collar. That's what he was wearing. So he didn't a- have a nautical hat on. <laughs> no. I can't get over the fact, I just keep imagining the captain from Captain and Tennille. No, not at all. The only thing that was different, he was wearing a, a short black jacket and maybe with tails and then a Nehru collar. Did he refer to himself as the captain? Did he say, the captain is here to open your champagne? Or, <laughs> no. Let's hear it for the captain. How did you know he was called the captain? Well, he was the only person who was set apart from everybody else. Because he did, by himself, come over and greet us and that kind of thing. Like, he did seem Right, but how did you important. ever know that his name was... Did he wear a name tag that said captain? No. I just deduced. Wait, wait, wait. So, so you made up the name the captain? No, it said on the tip thing, captain... Wait staff, 
bus staff. And at the very Those bottom, Tanil, which is, <laughs> you know, once again, woman getting paid, you know, uh-huh. less than a man for doing roughly the same job. So the captain followed me into the lobby where there was probably 50 people waiting to be seated and said, did you have a problem with your service? And he was holding the bill that I had signed. And I turned around and I'm like 21, you know, it's like and a college like, weekend. And you're super like concerned about mm-hmm. how you're perceived in this fancy place. Yes, I was very nervous. The funny part is the older that you get and the more you've been to nice restaurants, the more self-possessed you are. And you're like, well, what do you mean? Let's talk about this. But when you're 21 or, you know what I mean, you've never been to a place like that, you're always thinking that you're messing it up. Right. Te- kind of terrified by the whole process. So I had received my education in liberal arts, mm-hmm. not mathematics. Mm-hmm. So I just assumed I had added it wrong. So I turned around and said, oh, I'm sorry, did I do the math incorrectly? He goes, is this the amount you meant to leave me? And what was roughly, what was the breakdown for the... Um, it was, well, the bill was $400. Jeez, and I please. It was the champagne, let me tell you. So I broke, I, I had looked up that if it's a buffet, you... You, it's between 10 and 15%. And this is like 93, you know. But it said if it's a buffet, uh, you're not required to leave as much. But 10 to 15% is correct. But nothing else had been said. And so I just did like 3% of that to him and then 5% of it to the weight and then all the rest to the bus staff. Yeah. So he said, is this how much you meant to tip me? And I looked at the, and I said, yeah. He goes, oh, okay, thank you. And he turned around and walked away. And you tipped him like 15 bucks or something because mm-hmm. 3% of 400, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Yep. So a lot of people in here, I still don't actually know what the answer is, but most people who have heard it assume that you actually tip the captain the most. Well, that seems like a lousy deal for the people that do the actual work. I know. And Plus, I've never encountered that again. Like only at the Rainbow Room did I have to break out my tip in such a fashion. And and also, I mean, where does he get off calling himself the captain? <laughs> That, what are that, his credentials? Exactly. That alone. I mean, has he ever pirated a tanker through pirate-infested waters? Or piloted, <laughs> rather? Or pirated? Maybe this is the maybe this is the second business for these Somali pirates. Being the captain at the Rainbow Room? The new Rainbow Room when they get rid of these, these jerks, the Ciprianis. Christy, I did a little digging mm-hmm. this afternoon to see if I could figure out what a restaurant captain is. And I'm not entirely certain. I actually, if you scroll over past my notes, you can mm-hmm. see that I put a little link in there. Who's who in the dining room from the LA Times. And so they have a list of all the different function. And the captain says, oversees several tables in a section of the restaurant and has a team of staffers at his disposal. He stays in the dining room, making sure everyone in his section is having a smooth dining experience. He greets the table, takes appetizer, entree, dessert, and coffee orders, and drops the check. He's also in charge of pacing the meal so that entrees don't arrive when you're halfway through your starter. Blah, 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 blah. And then I think somewhere else in this article it says like a floor manager fills Mm -hmm. the same uh, function but just for a less fancy restaurant. Yeah, I think, isn't it a French thing? Kind of like a maitre d'. Yeah, I think so. They have a separate uh, entry for the Mater D in mm. this in this article, but I don't know. I think it really does depend on the restaurant itself and how pretentious yep. they want to be. <laughs> um, have you ever been to a restaurant that has a captain? 
Well, I don't know that it had a captain. I went to this French restaurant in Seattle and there was definitely a lot of people. There were definitely back waiters and servers and then someone who came and brought the drinks specifically. Like if you had wine, they would, uh, what is that called? A sommelier. There -hmm. was that um, situation and then there was someone that was always checking but would come and say, is everything okay? And then does delegate someone else to do the work so Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was and so you've never had a situation like this where the tip was broken out no I think that that is very inappropriate it should be totally all in one day so every restaurant that I've ever worked in there you had a tipping pool so the servers make whatever they do and then they tip they were required to tip the bus boys um or the bussers 10% and then the um, bar 10% or more if they had lots of drinks, if they had lots of alcohol in their checks that night, Um, an expediter, a certain amount of money. So it was all, it was all figured and it was um, usually required. So that's what they should do. Having someone, no, no one should know who the captain is. Right. Yeah. I've been to, well, not very many fancy restaurants in my life, but a few fancy places that have had as you say, multiple wait staff, but I, I don't think I was ever aware of anything other than them as a team. Yes. And I couldn't have told you who was in charge of them all. And like she said, the busser was the one she saw the most because it was a buffet. That's another thing is that if your server is just taking, well, they, she said that they were drinking champagne. So then there's a little bit more because they make a to do of it, especially at a fancy restaurant. But other than that, like, at a buffet, a fancy buffet, you don't usually see the server after you, they do something with your drinks. And it's the busser that's making sure you have clean plates and clearing everything off. They do most of the work. So it makes sense. But for her to have to figure out what she thinks they should get, no, that's the mm-hmm. restaurant's job. That's the that's yep. the server's job. And then for him to oh. follow her and publicly question her, no. that's crazy it is um i i follow this person on facebook and everyone else should called the bitchy waiter and he, he oh yeah often, i've read his stuff yeah he often asks like would you ask people and and uh, most of the people that do follow him are restaurant workers and and they'll say if i get stiffed or if it's like a 200 dollar bill and they give me a dollar i'll be like hey was everything okay with your service today um stuff like that like polite ways to do it but she had tipped 20%. It's mm-hmm. just that because of how their restaurant works, she didn't know who these people were. And the captain hadn't introduced himself as the captain until it was too late and inappropriate. There's a, a major breach mm-hmm. on several levels going on here. I bet that that doesn't happen anymore. Because the, the people no. have to have complained. Like that That's just not a good good way to do it. Well, and I know here in Seattle... If you, so Tom Douglas, if you own a certain amount of restaurants or you have a, I think it's over a hundred employees, everybody is required to make $15 an hour. And so Mm -hmm. what they do now is they have a 25% service charge. So you don't have to tip, but you're automatically paying 25%. And then what that covers is them getting, everyone in the restaurant getting $15 an hour, everybody getting covered with medical insurance and having paid time off and stuff like that, how it should be. Like everyone should have mm-hmm. those basic rights. 
And I think I like that better. And you can tip on top of it. So, so say you have like the best service ever and you want to give them a little bit, something extra. There you go. But you don't, you shouldn't have to think about those things. That's a breakdown in the restaurant. And I think that so often people tip based on the server's performance. Mm -hmm. So if for some reason they don't like the person and they don't give them very much, well, then that stiffs everybody else. It does. Bus boys and bartender and whoever else had nothing to do with it. So, well, and that sucks because when, when I was busing and expediting at the Olive Garden, um, here, your family, um, there were a couple (laughs) servers that did not like me and it's because I was dating someone that they all thought that they should be dating. Um, and they would regularly stiff me. And, and I'd be like, all right, I mean, I clean your tables. I see how much you're making. And mm-hmm. they just would be like, oh, sorry, here's $2 for the night. And so you know what I would do? Not clean their tables the next day. So, I mean, there, there's ways to get around that. Like, I didn't prepare their their food when I was expediting. I would make them make their own salads. I wouldn't run their food out to their tables. It's all a big machine. And if someone breaks mm-hmm. down and is shitty in that machine it's going to hurt you. And then conversely, I had servers that would give me $20 at the at the beginning of the day and say, just do this for me. And I would bring them waters. I would treat them so much better because they, you know, you get, you get my back, I get yours, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're a crappy server, it's going to come down. Um, so Luke is annoying to me in this uh, clip <laughs> because he is so fixated on the word captain. <laughs> right. And he wants desperately to get the Captain and Tennille joke in there. Yeah. It is a dumb name. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and uh, quizzing Jen. Jen's just trying to tell the story. And he's mm-hmm. getting all up in there with his little jokey jokes about yeah. the captain. And how do we know he's the captain? And what was he wearing? Does he have a hat? <laughs> Says he was the captain. And I was like, zip it, Buster. Right. Let her finish. And she doesn't know who the captain is. That's the point of the story. <laughs> So we're not going to the Rainbow Room anytime soon. I think it might have closed. Oh, well, serves it. It's probably because of the captain. Captain <laughs> sheared, steered the ship wrong. <laughs> we have a fancy buffet type place here called Salty's. And they do a, mm-hmm. an amazing brunch. And it's right on the water. I think they only do it on Saturdays and Sundays. And I, last time I went, I think it was $50 per person. And it's similar to that where... It's really, really expensive, and your server gives you your drink or whatever, and mm-hmm. they um, go through that. But I I wouldn't, I don't know, I wouldn't tip the person who sat me. I don't know. Maybe we've been doing it wrong yeah, the whole maybe. time. Oh, update. The Rainbow Room is still open. It is very fancy. Is that the one that's in uh, Rockefeller Center? Mm-hmm. Okay. I've seen it outside because if you go to NBC Studios, it's right there at 30 Rock. I wonder if they're hiring. For a captain? (laughs) Do you want to work there? I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) They're hiring for a busser and a dining club manager. Oh, so they changed it to manager. I don't even know what the dining club is. Yeah. You could do it though. Me? Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I have it in me still to do restaurant work. Or host. You could host. I could. I like Expediter because they're basically the, the boss of the kitchen and they get to yell at people. So I kind of like that. Oh, wait. 
bathroom attendant. Well, there you go. Required skills, able to lift 30 plus pounds, fast paced experience. I can do it. Mm-hmm. Responsible for sanitation and cleanliness, mopping and sweeping floors, keeping the work area clean and organized, cleaning and buffing all mirrors and doors, keeping all surfaces such as window frames dust free. You know who should do this is Andrew. I know, Emptying right? Emptying trash cans. <laughs> this sounds like his perfect job. Mm-hmm. Probably get some good tips, mm-hmm. too. And he could chat with people. Bathroom attendant places make me very um, nervous. Yes. I don't want to talk to anybody in the bathroom. I don't want to talk to anyone. I never have cash. I don't know. Am I supposed to? Because they just got me a paper towel. Um, I know. It's all, all so weird. Seems like a racket. Yeah. I like people keeping the bathroom nice and clean, though. That is, I do appreciate that. But I highly doubt in the rainbow room it gets really messy. <laughs> I need this to be in a dive bar. Maybe at the rainbow room they're also there to kind of keep people from, I don't know, doing cocaine. Oh, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. Well, and maybe back in the day they supplied it to them. Oh, maybe they did. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but this whole story just makes me feel so sad for Jen because we know that the last thing she would ever want to do is stiff her service people. Right. And when she's trying to be so grown up. She's really excited to be graduated from college and taking her parents to this fancy restaurant and getting champagne. And then this jerk had to ruin it with this. And I feel like this is one of those times that she definitely was not keeping track of how much it was going to cost. I've definitely done this where you're starting to do math in your head towards the end. Like, okay, I think that was $15. You start adding it up and you think, yeah, probably 200, 200. I got that. And then it comes down and it's 400 mm-hmm. and you just are in sticker shock. <laughs> are you talking about every time I go to Target? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Target and Costco, same. <laughs> mm-hmm. Shall we move on then? All right. Oh, no. This one, <laughs> just looking at the words, I'm already starting to like hide in my sweatshirt. Um, Maybe we shouldn't tell people what it's about okay. because yes. they will know within five seconds of the yes. clip starting. Okay. They will know exactly how it ends within five seconds of the clip starting. Yes. So this is from January 4th of 2010. Take a listen if you dare. <laughs> At WNYC, where I've been filling in the past week, there are a bunch of pregnant ladies, like a bunch, like some that work on the takeaway, but also just in the building generally at the radio station. Every time you get into an elevator, every time you walk down to the uh, coffee machine, you seem to be bumping into some lady in her 30s who is prego. And it's just kind of surprising. I don't know. I guess you don't – I feel like you don't see that a ton anymore. I think that a lot of women, you know, the, the sort of women who work in public radio, a lot of them are – you know, they, 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 I think, are waiting to have babies or being, you know, very strategic about the whole thing. And so you just don't you just don't see that like crazy. And in fact, when you start to see four or five, six of them in the same place, you, you kind of like, wow, you take note of that. So that's in the back of my mind. I've been seeing all these pregnant ladies at WNYC. And then I go into the um, the Sheraton and I'm waiting for the elevator. This is actually New Year's Day. They've cleared out the, um, you know, the mob. They brought in the fire hoses apparently and the, and the mace and they were able to get the wild mob at Bento Mole under control and uh, get them cleared out. Now it's after the show. I'm back to get some of my stuff from the hotel. 
And I'm waiting for the elevator, and there is this lady, this really cute lady who's pregnant, who's working at the front desk. And she's got the uniform, the Sheraton uniform on, and it's this really cute kind of empire waist little outfit. And she's sitting there at her station, and, um, you know, I'm waiting for the elevator, and I decide I'll make some small talk with her, and I decide, just because I've got pregnancy on the brain because of all the ladies at WNYC, I see her little pregnant belly, and I say to her, Everybody's getting pregnant, huh? And a look comes over her face of horror and embarrassment. I see her suck her gut in and go, I'm not pregnant. And I seriously wanted to die. My first inclination was really to just run to the stairwell and just go up the stairs, even though I was staying on the, like, 20th floor. Just basically get out of there as soon as possible. But I I didn't... Ex- I knew that was going to be suspicious. I knew I was going to see this lady again. So I had to try to play it off. And here's what I did. I said, oh, no, I wasn't talking about you. I just meant, like, at my work, everybody's getting pregnant. There's all these ladies that are pregnant at my work right now. And she was like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah. And then I said, I guess people in New York get pregnant a lot. And I'm now, I am grasping at straws. Like, I've basically decided that it's better for me to seem like an insane person who just starts conversations with random people, right? Like, I just randomly open conversations with ladies I don't know by saying, everybody's getting pregnant. And then I continue to have a incredibly awkward conversation after that where I'm like tap dancing as quickly as I can conversationally to try to act like it's no big deal even though in the back of her mind she has to be thinking does this guy think I'm pregnant or did he think I was pregnant so I try to play it off a very awkward and of course now the elevator takes like 15 minutes to get down to the ground floor because like everyone's in there with their luggage and crap So we proceed to have the world's most awkward conversation that I will probably never live down in my life. And the thing is, I've decided, I had thought this before, but I've really, really, really decided now that I don't care how pregnant a woman is. I don't care if there is a baby's head emerging from her vajayjay. I am never, ever, ever going to mention that a woman is pregnant. Seriously, that baby could could be crawling out of her womb and 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 singing a third eye blind song why that would be happening i have no idea but there is nothing that could be going on with a woman short of her saying i'm pregnant that will cause me to ever reference her state of being with child again that is my commitment here on january 4th in the year of our lord 2010 i will never again Never again ever make reference to a lady's state of pregnancy because when that happened, my life flashed before my eyes. The only thing that saved me was I did not say specifically to her, are you pregnant or you look pregnant. I said it in a general enough way that there was at least a small, tiny sliver of a possibility that I was just, you know, making bizarre conversation for no reason. But this brings me to my larger point. Ladies and gentlemen of the world and tens of listeners, the empire waste, the empire waste dress. We got to get rid of it, ladies. 
we got to put an end to the empire waste. It is really confusing. When I was having drinks with the New York Tens the other night, I was, I was fresh off of this horrible experience, and I was talking to them about this, and there was another person there who had made the same mistake. Guess why? Empire waste. I know Gwyneth Paltrow wore them in a Shakespeare in Love. I know that you ladies think they're flattering, but they are really, really confusing because you all look pregnant in them. Even if you have no stomach to speak of, you look pregnant when you wear an empire waist dress. If you want to continue wearing empire waist dresses, then I propose a color coding system. You know how when you eat at those um, Brazilian steakhouses, they've got the little thing on the table that's red and green for like red is like, don't bring me any more meat and green is like, bring me an entire half of a lamb charred, broiled and, and put it on my plate. If you ladies want to continue wearing the Empire Waste, we need a color system. You need a little button that's like red or green. And and you just if you're not pregnant, you just have it on red. And if you are pregnant, you flip it over. I mean, we can customize it. You don't have to choose red or green. Maybe those colors aren't flattering. We can pick better colors. But the point is, if you are going to continue wearing the Empire Waste, we, the men of America, need some kind of better visual uh, kind of indicator as to whether or not you are prego. Because nobody should have to go through what I went through the other day. Nobody. All right, Anne, have you climbed out of your shirt yet? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, All right, I'm not sure what I want to discuss first. Maybe <laughs> I should just get out of the way. The second embarrassing thing that Luke does while telling this story is that it is actually pronounced... Ampere waste. It's an ampere waste cut. Oh, not I didn't an know empire that. Empire waste. Yes. Something new. If you're talking about the French fashion cut, it is pronounced ampere. And Luke says it about 14 times the wrong way in justifying why women should not be allowed to wear them yeah. anymore because yeah. he might get embarrassed. Yeah. It's all about how men feel. Yep. Can't we need to take away <laughs> the things that make it possible for them to be boneheads. Yep. Um, okay. <laughs> this is just, let's just not comment on people's bodies. Amen, sister. And I think he comes to the conclusion, or I don't know if this is my own conclusion, or if he has in the, like, since then, is that don't comment about someone being pregnant even if a fetus is coming out actively <laughs> and that's just a good rule of thumb i mean even mm -hmm. when i'm at baby showers i'm a little bit like Ma, let's just hold off <laughs> well, and what use is it to comment on a woman's body like that especially a stranger yeah just don't it goes back to this conversation that they had on the last week of TBTL of Andrew saying, can you compliment a woman's dress or mm. can you talk to a strange person? Just, just don't, just yeah. don't comment on their appearance. If it's your friend, an acquaintance or your girlfriend or your wife. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the front desk person. No, no, just don't. This is the other uh, clip where he seems to think that he's saved the situation by saying, um, I didn't mean you. I just, just saying in, in general, 
Uh, sure. Yeah. Erect her did day, not save it. Luke, because you called her fat. Yeah, and not only did it wreck her day, she still thinks about that. Oh, yes, she does. Yeah. But I was thinking about this particular situation, and it's like, it's almost like a different form of Burbanking. So he has this Burbanking the joke where it doesn't land, and he feels compelled to push it and push it and push it and push it. Mm-hmm. And in this, he says this thing, which is totally terrible, and he feels compelled to try and save it. And then he talks about how it takes 15 minutes for the elevator to come. So he has to continue trying to save the situation by chatting and chatting with her. And I'm like, dude, just shut up. Just yeah, you be don't quiet. Have to. You can't save this. No, just back away. I mean, I never would have said that. So it's nope. hard. But if I had said something not even equally as embarrassing, I probably just would have run. That's my go-to. It's just, I got to go and just run. (laughs) Or, oh my gosh, look at the time. Oh, I'm getting a phone call. Got to go. Oh, hell. I would have taken the stairs to the 20th floor before I stood there and waited. Or just one one floor up and then got, oh man. See, I'm getting all flushed again thinking about this. I my last boss that was terrible he uh pulled me into his office because he had to ask me a question he had to and his question was to ask if my friend and coworker was pregnant she wasn't there's just no reason that he needs to no. know it's none of his business and I said no and then I got embarrassed for her I mean she mm-hmm. doesn't even know I didn't then go oh guess what he said I'm never gonna tell her that no um but I instantly, it felt like he had asked if I was. And then he was like, oh, yeah, that's what I thought. No, that's not what you thought. If you thought that, you wouldn't have asked. Mm-hmm. Well, Luke claims to have learned his lesson with this. And I'm sure he has more or less. But I know there's another one of these stories floating around in the archives somewhere. I should have looked more closely for it because I, I know he's done it to somebody else at work before i'm not sure if it was before this story or after this story we need to find it hopefully with age and maturity he has um held fast to this promise Mm -hmm. never to ask a lady if she's pregnant again or make comments upon her supposed pregnancy yes oh my gosh so (laughs) him I I feel like we could have a whole clip show about things that he wants to use this Brazilian steakhouse color system for. (laughs) It's been for so many things. And again, that's him wanting women to tell him. So Mm -hmm. we're supposed to carry something around that's that just says that's red says, no, I'm not pregnant, just fat. Just a button, Christy. You could just pin it okay. on your shoulder every day, every morning. It'd be easy but enough. If, if we've used it for all of the things that he wants, sometimes I mm-hmm. want it to be green. Sometimes I want it to be red. I don't, I don't understand the color system. Maybe we just need like an LED sign that we can program. That's good. Not pregnant. Also don't want any meat. Could probably use some more <laughs> cheese. <laughs> Oh, Luke, he's always looking for a different way to stop these things from happening without having to take responsibility for himself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's go to the last 
clip then. This one, we're actually going to jump forward in time to February 13th, 2015. Uh, Luke and Andrew have been talking about Slater Kinney and Carrie Brownstein and how much they like and admire Carrie Brownstein. But of course, Luke had an encounter with her that he is deeply embarrassed about. This is the third in the celebrity trilogy of embarrassing moments. And let's take a listen to that. You just got to love Carrie Brownstein, generally speaking. You got to root for her. If you're me, you have to love her from afar. Yeah. Because because of the restraining order. Right. Actually, I wouldn't be I would not be surprised uh if she had a restraining order against me because I, I had an interaction with her some months ago, maybe five, six months ago, that left me feeling so embarrassed. That's probably where my kind of, uh, you know, apathy about uh, Slater Kinney is, is it's probably where it's 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 coming from is because I, I, w I have a new therapist, which I can get into in future shows. But um, one of the things that she pointed out to me this week was I may just dismiss things and people uh, so that I can do it before they dismiss me. Mm -hmm. um, and so what happened was we... For a long time, I'm in Lacey, Washington uh, today because I'm on my way to Portland uh, because I'll be doing the Livewire radio program down there tomorrow. Very excited for that. But um, we've had a long uh, kind of dance with trying to get – we had Fred Armisen on the show, which was a blast, and we've been trying to get Carrie on, and she's incredibly nice. She's been on Livewire before, before I was the host, and she's always been really generous with her time to the show. And But since I've been the host, they've never quite been able to work it out, and it's always been – having to do with Portlandia's shooting schedule or, or sort of one little problem or another. And um, because I'd had a few kind of brief passing conversations with Carrie, we actually were going to have her on the TBTL live show in New York years ago, but at the last minute something happened, she couldn't make it. So in my mind, I was sort of walking around like with this idea in my head that she and I are, are, are kind of acquainted, right? So... We um we go out after uh we, we do uh, live wire and one of the guests I can't remember who it was it might have been a musician oh you know what I think we had this band Deep Sea Diver on and uh, a really really cool band in my opinion and I think that the uh, some of the people in that band are friends with Carrie Brownstein so whatever okay we we uh, the show's over we go next door to this place we always go to and Carrie's over there and she's now it's late in the night and she's about to leave. And uh, the one of the people from the show says, hey, go, can you go talk to Carrie and just remind her that we'd love to have her on the show at some point? So I'm kind of, you know, I've been aware she's in the room, but I'm trying to not go over and bother her. And I'm also trying to act cool in a way that, that indicates that, like, you know, I'm not excited. I'm not thrilled by the fact that Carrie Brownstein's in this room, even though, of course, I'm thrilled by the fact that Carrie Brownstein's in this room. So the way this ends up playing out to my ultimate, I think you'll agree when you hear coolness, is... She's about to get into a cab, and I come running outside in my suit at like 1 in the morning, probably half drunk, and I say, Hey, Carrie! Hey, Carrie! And she sort of gets back out of the cab, and I go, It's Luke Burbank! And she goes, Yeah, I know. And I go, Okay, cool! And then I just go back inside. So no 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 no. Are you serious? That's it. You didn't I, you didn't say hey we want to make sure you come on the show sometime. No, because I felt like a complete. I felt I thought I was going to be doing some cool move where it's like oh I'm just outside and I just oh hey Carrie what's up remember me we used to almost be on the same level. Uh, hey you know what if you get a chance come on the show but instead. 
because I thought she was going to get in the cab and leave, I ran out of the restaurant like too fast. So I, I completely lost any chance of it seeming casual. And then when I got out there, I was like hollering at her because of trying to make sure she didn't get in the cab and leave. I just completely blew the, the element of being cash. And then once I'd done that and she was like, yeah, I, I know. Then I, I felt, I guess, either embarrassed or something. And I just kind of like said, okay, hey, we'll have a great night. And then I just like went back inside the restaurant. Um, so how drunk was he for this, do you suppose? A lot to vary? Um, medium. Medium? Mm-hmm. Oh. He was just enough into his cups that he wanted validation that mm-hmm. that this celebrity knew him, but not enough that he talked too much. Mm-hmm. That's true. There was no Ethan Hawke level story right. on this one. <laughs> And and then also, oh, yeah, I mean, maybe more. Because he also forgot everything he was going to say. Uh-huh. He just went running out there and it was like, hey, Carrie, hey, Carrie, and had nothing else. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was the plan? There wasn't one. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he maybe had one. Did he? That's a, I just need to know, like, did he freeze up? What would he have said if she answered differently? Like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Would he Uh have then explained, oh, no, we know each other. We're about on the same level, which is what he loves to say. Uh, Yeah, I thought that was a very telling part of that clip that he was like, person that I used to be pretty much the same status with. That's obviously very important to him. Yes. Yeah, I just don't understand what the outcome was. So I think he said, like, we had already had Fred on the show. We wanted to have her on the show, but he didn't ask her. (laughs) like he could have said oh my people are gonna call your people let's have you on the show sometime that was just one small step that he missed in the interaction was the part (laughs) where he asked her to be on the show yeah he just chased her down so then on her thinking so if I put my Carrie Brownstone hat on I would wonder was he doing that because he's gonna hit on me does he want me on his show did he just want me to know who he is? Uh-huh. I mean, she she quickly forgot it. But, you know, at right. first she has to be confused. Well, and she, I'm sure, has plenty of experience with guys in bars who are somewhat drunk mm-hmm. approaching her. So I expect that she's had many of these weird interactions where people don't know what to say with her. Say it to her because she's such a, she's a cool girl. Mm-hmm. And Luke wanted to be cool with her, and he just totally failed. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so embarrassing. Do we know if he ever got her on LifeWire? I don't remember. He must have. This was like three and a half years ago. I have to admit, I have never listened to one episode. Oh. Not that I would hate it. I just, I, it just always escapes me. I really want to go see it live. Mm-hmm. Oh, it says, yeah, Portlandia, Carrie Brownstone on LiveWire Radio number 201. Oh, that was before Luke was the host, though. Oh, yeah, because this was 2015. Mm-hmm. Nope, he ruined it for everyone. <laughs> 2011. Yeah, doesn't look like it. He ruined it for everyone. <laughs> now that Portlandia is over, maybe 
maybe he has a shot. Maybe she'll have some time to be on mm-hmm. Livewire. I really want to go see it. They have some really good guests coming up this this season, and I really want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun. When I went to the one in Minneapolis, I thought it was a great time. Yeah. I mean, we give Luke a lot of crap, but he's a talented yeah, guy. he's a good host. He just needs, like, maybe one more filter in his brain. <laughs> Shall we go to some housekeeping? Sure. All right. We've got some merchandise in our merchandise store. Uh, we've started kicking around a couple of very preliminary ideas for mm-hmm. new stuff. But as Christy always says, if you guys have some good ideas, something that you'd like to see on a t-shirt or a mug or a tote bag or something else, just send us an email and let us know and we'll see what we can make happen. The archive project continues. As we always say, we could not do these clip shows without your hard work. So thank you very much to everybody who has participated in them. And if you would maybe like to try your hand at a little archiving, send an email to Christy and she will get you set up with that. Also, if you are buying things on the internet, and I know you are, it would be great if you would use our Amazon affiliate link, littleredbandwagon.com slash Amazon and send a few pennies our way to help with the tremendous costs of being a tiny podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean all our all the money, the proceeds from our middle-aged momish 10 mugs, that's got us rolling in the dough, right? Yes, for sure. Mhm. <laughs> right. Oh, and if we send you a middle-aged momish 10 mug, it will not arrive broken. Yes. I mean, I can't guarantee that, but one has and we replaced it. So <laughs> All right, I'll I'll do the get involved. Um, if you want to go to our website, it's littleredbandwagon.com. If things you heard here makes you throw your phone or hug your phone, go to throwyourphone.com and fill out the little contact us. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Little Red Bandwagon. Our show Twitter is at LRB Podcast. Um, send us emails at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com. Or send us a voicemail or a text at 802-432-8285. I just want to say, Anne, thank you so much for letting me be on. Um, As always, I could not do this without you. They're my favorite. And also, just a shout out to Luca Jen for being so open with these embarrassing stories. We we make fun of Luke, but if he didn't, he could do these things and never tell us. And we wouldn't know. Yep. But the fact that he shares them is probably another tweak in his personality that, <laughs> that needs to be worked on. But I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. We can sit here and call him a dum-dum only because he was willing to share these terrible, terrible stories with the world. Exactly. <laughs> we do appreciate that. All right. So until next time, this is the next party. And we love you, Jen. Shine on, you crazy diamond. Nailed it.